0: We're not brave enough to have those moments of mystery and intrigue. We just want it all out there, front and center, all the time.
1: This holiday season, marketers are facing their biggest decisions at a point of maximum pressure. Delivery fatigue and budget crunch are real. And it's leading to complacency around creative effectiveness in digital marketing, and that could make or break campaigns. So, What can you do about it? Well, you should read the automated creative white paper called Compounding Creative, an urgent Q4 wake up call. So you can get this on this bit.ly link, which is bit.ly forward slash Q4 Xmas 2023. So that is B-I-T dot L-Y, that's lowercase, then forward slash capital Q, number four, capital X, capital M, capital A, capital S, and then 2023. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the Shiny New Object Podcast. My name is Tom Ollerton. I'm the founder of Automated Creative, the creative effectiveness ad tech platform. And every week I have the pleasure and the privilege of interviewing our industry's leaders about their vision for the future of that industry. And this week is no different. I'm on a call with Rebecca McCowan, who is design lead for Europe at the Coca-Cola company. So Rebecca, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do. Could you give the audience a bit of background?
0: Yeah, first of all, thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me. Um, And hello, everyone. I'm Rebecca McCowan. And as Tom said, I'm the design lead for Coca-Cola for Europe. And basically, my very small but mighty team, we are looking after all the visual identity and branding for the entire Coca-Cola portfolio across Europe. So that includes... Things you guys all know, like Coke, Fanta, Sprites, and lots of things you might not know, like juices, dairies, um, waters, et cetera, et cetera. So the list goes on. Um, so, yeah.
1: I'm assuming you didn't arrive in that job as your first gig out of school. What did you, <laughs> what did you, what did you do in between then and now?
0: In between then. So uh, funny enough, I I always set out to be a lawyer. And then I found I couldn't quite bring myself to take the entrance exams to law school. And there was this nagging feeling that I needed to do something more creative. So um, to make a very long story short, I ended up at design school in Atlanta and then from there I moved to work at a at an agency in Chicago. Um, about seven months later, I was laid off with the entire junior design department. And I felt a little ballsy and opened my own little thing with a, a fellow laid off designer. Um, and we did that for about three years and then ultimately, I found myself in a position where I couldn't pay my rent, so I went and got a job, and I was a designer at a restaurant and entertainment company, and I was there for about three or four years, and then it was... um it was a really nasty snowstorm where there was snow up to my shoulders and I couldn't get, and I still had to go to work. I, it was hard to get to work. I couldn't get to work, but I still had to go to work. And I was like, this, this is not for me. So I convinced my husband to move to a warmer climate and we ended up back in Atlanta and I was working for Coca-Cola. Um, and from there, then we came to Austria. Of course. That was long.
1: (laughs) Uh, and it's a shame. We originally planned to do this podcast at your place. I think I was going to get the train from Budapest, and it was going to be this like dreamy, cool, you know, trans-European thing. Oh, didn't did happen. We're doing a Zoom call. But there you go. There you go. Um, maybe, maybe next time. So, first question: What have you become better at saying no to in your career?
0: So i I have become better at saying no to bad briefs, or just challenging the briefs that I get that come across my desk um i think that too many people in in marketing and and in the world where i work think that design exists just to make things pretty and and i do think that aesthetics are very important because as humans we love beautiful things but at the core design is really about solving problems um so I'll I'll give you an example. We get I get a lot of briefs where it's like, "Oh, we need a new look and feel because we need to increase transactions." And it's like, "Okay, well that's a business problem. That's not inherently a design problem." And so then we have to dig a little deeper and say, "Well, Why do we need to increase transactions? And it's, oh, well, you know, people aren't buying our product as often as they used to. Well, why aren't they buying our product as often? Oh, well, the price went up. Okay, now we're getting somewhere. So if the price went up, then either you can go solve that with the commercial supply chain people, or we can do some assumptions and think that maybe people don't think that they're getting their value for their money, when they're buying our product, because it's more expensive now. And so maybe this could turn into a design problem, which is we need to elevate the look and feel so that the, the look of it is matching the price. And then people will feel better about paying a bit more for it. So that is a very like black and white example. They are never that, <laughs> that easy to solve. But essentially, we get a lot of weird briefs that, that you have to dig a lot or that don't really make sense because it's a business problem and not a design problem.
1: So if someone's writing you a brief, how would you like them to know that they are ready to write you a brief? Because I think what you're describing is someone expressing that they have a problem as opposed to having write, written you a brief
0: hmm. Yeah, well, I think that that is a really fabulous question, because I think a lot of what happens is we just kind of get a, a brief in an email. Hey, here's a brief for you. Instead of bringing design in very early and having that discussion of, OK, these are the challenges that this brand is facing design people and and it doesn't just have to be design people in the room you know human insights uh digital people everybody in the room together kind of trying to tackle the problem together and eventually you'll you'll find that little nugget where design can play a role but again a lot of briefs that come to us are not inherently there there's not a problem with the design um but there's a problem with the business and the assumption is that design needs to fix it or design can fix it. Um, and, and ultimately you just have to like keep digging until you understand what the problem is for the person that's interacting with it. Like if you think about everything around you, it's all been designed at some point. Um, like I'm 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 looking at my very cluttered desk at the moment and you know I've got I've got some headphones well those were designed because people wanted to be able to to listen to music or listen to something while they're walking around or I have a plant on my desk and at some point someone designed this beautiful little pot so that I could bring the outside world in and have a little bit of nature on my desk so There is a lot of aesthetics in that, but at the core, you're designing for a reason, for a problem.
1: So one of the things that we've done as a business, and I'd love to get your view on it, you might think this is absolute nonsense, but when I worked at an agency, I went through the process of taking briefs for a pitch. So the company agency and go, so-and-so are looking for a social media agency. Here's the the brief, for, you know, the RFP for the re- proposal. And then we do it and then we lose it. And then afterwards to say, well, you know, what you didn't do was like ABC. You didn't talk about EFG, whatever it was. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and we were like, well, you didn't put that in the brief, man. So I'm like, how could we have possibly responded to it? Oh, because your best mates were the person that wanted it, and, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So what, when, when we set up Automated Creative, we develop this thing called a collaborative brief, right? So our clients don't write briefs for us. What we do is have a conversation with them and they go, well, look, what are you trying to do in the next quarter? Like, What we're trying to do is sell this thing or raise awareness of X or get people to consider this thing. And then I go, well, why? Who's the target audience? How do you want to do that? What assets do you have? What's the media budget? Like, a ton of questions. And they just talk to us and we yeah. record, record it all. And then we write it down in a brief and then send it back to them and say, is this your brief? And then we go, <laughs> not, and they'll go, no, no, actually, it's more about this or actually here's this bit of data that'll help. So we collaborate from day one. And yeah. so so there's no them sending me a brief and then me trying to translate that into automated creative language. It's just like, "That's what do you want to do? What are you trying to achieve? Where do you want to get to? And I play that back. But it, do you think that would help or is that just a weird thing that we do?
0: No, I think that's an amazing thing that you do. And I think that collaboration is key um, and you know, this is kind of a, a separate topic, but I, I think that our industry is very good at working in silos and, you know, everybody comes up with an idea and off they run and do it. And nobody's really thinking about things together. Um, it's, it's interesting. I was, I was having a chat with uh, a friend of mine at an agency the other day and, we were talking about this idea of challenging briefs and and they were saying like, well, Rebecca, because you are internal, you have more of a voice and more of a say to challenge a brief, whereas the agency doesn't always feel so comfortable to challenge a brief. So I, I love what you guys are doing with this whole kind of collaboration from the very beginning, because I do think that sometimes briefs just kind of get lobbed over the fence to the agency and then they have to make sense of it. But a big part of my job is getting that original brief, figuring out how design can play a role and what that role is, and then taking that to the design agency. So I'm like the middleman between the marketing brief and the design agency.
1: most influential people in marketing check it out at www.madfestlondon.com so we're now going to move on to your top marketing tip so we don't have many design people on the show so i'm fascinated <laughs> to know. what is what is your top marketing tip what is the thing that you find yourself saying to your teams or colleagues most often
0: so i uh- I think that in in my world we we tend to market to and and this is going to sound maybe rude but we tend to market to the lowest common denominator and we feel like if we don't spell it out perfectly clear that people aren't going to get it and so we we lose that sense of intrigue and wonder And that sense of surprise and delight. And I think it's really important to let people engage with our brands in a way that lets them learn along the way and not like shouting at them from the very beginning. And I'll I'll give you two examples like you, you might use FedEx to send your packages and for years and years, you might just appreciate that FedEx gets your things from point A to point B. And then one day you might notice that adorable little arrow between the E and the X. And suddenly it's just a whole different experience. It brings a little smile to your, we say a little smile to your eye, but I think it just, you don't have to notice it in the beginning, but then once you do, you realize it's just a clever, lovely little touch. Um, The same, I would say, for innocent juice drinks. So again, you can buy an innocent juice, you can drink it, then you can recycle it because that's what you're supposed to do. And you may never notice anything else and you've had a lovely juice experience. But if you happen to turn the bottle and you look on the back of pack, you'll see just these funny little stories. You'll see the the phone number for their banana hotline. And I can tell you, I've seen the banana phone. It exists. Um And it, it's just this lovely little interaction that if you as a consumer want to take the time, there's more to see and learn. But if you don't, that's okay. Whereas I feel like in, in my world, we're not brave enough to have those moments of mystery and intrigue. We just want to all out there, front and center, all the time.
1: That is wonderful to hear. I'm just looking at the FedEx logo. Never
0: noticed. It. <laughs> Had you never? Never, seen-
1: never, no. So well, I mean, I don't use FedEx if for you once in my life, if ever. Um, so maybe, maybe I'm 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 not the guy for that. But, but that's fantastic. And I tell you, you do that really brilliantly. Is. Oatly, we had Michael Lee, who's the, one of the creative directors there. And if you ever look on this the the side of a pack of Oatly, it's just this like continual stream of BS, which is just them being cheeky and funny and irreverent.
0: It's so funny, um,
1: and it's and it's like I don't know if you ever experienced this, but they what used to be Virgin trains that had this sign in the in the bathroom on the train that said "Don't flush anything down the toilet, including your hopes and dreams, your ex girlfriend's jumper," <laughs> and like that was funny once, man. 10 years ago, but like it's even like they don't own the trains anymore. A different company owns the trains and it's still there. And it's like, oh my God, like, but whereas only they like, constantly refresh the joke. It's like uh-huh. there's it like uh-huh. a, some music on it and the music's about their CEO or something. It's like so ridiculous. And I do, uh, it's really nice to hear that because I definitely live in the world of like get the value proposition right, get the right visual, deliver the outcome that you want. But what you're talking about is like almost like a meta level of care that deepens the relationship with the brand.
0: Yeah, exactly. And and it's funny because um like I'm I'm working on a project now and it's it's for uh, a thing that's happening next summer and basically we're working with the creative team and and they're doing more of the kind of advertising campaigning stuff and design is a bit more about the the branding and the foundation and You know, we're proposing these like out of home billboards and posters and things that are that are very simple, that just have like one little headline. And it makes you stop and think, whereas we're getting so much pushback that, no, we have to show the occasion and the call to action and the QR code. And we have to show what packs (laughs) we're talking about. And it's like when you put these two things side by side, it's like one is so cluttered, like I wouldn't even look at it. And the other one makes me stop and smile. And it just, it's really hard in a world of, you know, call to actions and QR codes and la, 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 to, to get people to just stop and, and let people interact with the brand in their own way.
1: Wow, man. A lot of the work we do is performance advertising. So this is like a really different place for me to be discussing things. <laughs> All right, yeah, of course, get a QR code on it. Get the pack on it. This I
0: know.
1: <laughs> so Say, so have one of those loopy arrows. Say, so turn around and head back to say, no, of course not. <laughs> <laughs> Right. So we are going to move on now to your shiny new object, which is slow design. I don't know what that is. I, what is it? Explain slow design to me and I will try and have a it, sensible conversation with you. About it. you
0: you're going to get it. It's quite simple. Um, and, and the name was born from, so I, a colleague of mine, she and I, I came up with this. Her name is Jessica Felby and she's amazing. Um, And we were talking about this one day about the idea of like slow food and the opposite of fast fashion is slow fashion. And we were talking about how in our worlds, everything is done very quickly and we're almost always starting from scratch. So instead of doing a rebranding once and doing it well and taking the time to do it, We'll do it four times and badly and keep needing to reinvent. Um, And so it's just this thought of like, let's take a step back. Let's, let's think about where we want the brand to be in two years time, five years time, 10 years time, and start working towards that. But unfortunately, uh, places like Coca-Cola and a lot of these big FMCGs, we're working on a yearly cycle. So every year, we're redoing things that we did the previous year. I'll give you an example. like Christmas, I don't know if you know this, but Christmas happens every single year. It does. And every single year we start from scratch of, okay, what are we going to do this year for Coke Christmas? Instead of saying, okay, this, this is the world that Coke Christmas should look and feel like. And every year we're going to build on that. And we're going to bring, instead of starting from scratch, we're going to use 80% of it. And and the other 20% is the new and interesting for this year. Um, and and it's funny because I, I've talked to a lot of people uh, within Coke about this because it, it does bother me <laughs> how much we start from scratch, and and they're always like, yeah, but you know, consumers need something new. The bottlers need something new. Like we like shiny and we like new. And I'm like, yeah, we do like shiny and we like new. Like that humans. That's that's what we like. But when you think about Christmas, and you think about, you know, putting up your Christmas tree and getting out your ornaments, do you do you want that experience to be different every single year? Or is there something kind of lovely about the nostalgia of bringing out the same ornaments just for this short period of time, and and loving it for what it is, and not needing to reinvent it every single year?
1: Well, I'm funny on Christmas though, because I, I think Christmas is is the month that taste forgot, right? You know, you just have like a Christmas tree is literally the most ugly thing in the universe, but it looks amazing. Like wrapping paper, Santa Claus, it's just the music. It's the, yeah. the worst music. The, I can tell you why it's the worst music because we don't listen to it for the rest of the year. I can tell you why it's the worst <laughs> food because we don't eat that food the rest of the time. Mulled wine. It's the worst way to drink wine, and why do I know that? Because no one drinks it outside of Christmas. It's exactly I mean, your life the, the awful things make you feel great because there are there are associations around that but thing. Hang
0: so on, I, you have not been to a Christmas market in Vienna and had the malt wine here, so I'm I'm do afraid. You do,
1: would you do you drink it in June? No, you don't. Like forget it. It's no,
0: disgusting. No, because it's not in June. Come on. It's, it's just,
1: there's an excuse to drink alcohol earlier in the day, which I t- I'm totally on board with. But, <laughs> yeah. Oh, we're having a, we're having a meeting at Coke's office. It's 11am. Mulled wine. It's Christmas. <laughs> wine. It, you know, Everybody
0: loves it. Um, but on the same note, would you drink like a pina colada at Christmas time?
1: I'm from the North of England. I'll drink anything. Yeah, um, <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> anyway, but yes, I, um, I, that's a powerful argument in to, to leak the Coke, but it, it surprises me because I, I always see Coke as the quintessential Christmas brand that it, that's mm-hmm. uh, the, the, the trucks and the song and big happy Santa Claus smiling and winking at you. Like it, that feels like it's there every year. It, but clearly it's not and it, it needs to be reinvented apparently but you're in a sort of roster of like three or four brands I guess that have that kind of completely 100% awareness and consideration and all that stuff that that you can do the same thing over and over again or have I been missing some significant campaigns here?
0: No, so I mean to that point you are right I mean every year we do have Santa we do have the truck um, I don't know if the song stays the same I don't know but It's interesting how sometimes the Santa changes a little bit. And uh, like this past year, we were working on it. And we have... One of the cool things about Coke, and especially when I was living in Atlanta and working for global design, is we had the Coca-Cola archives right there to be able to go explore and check out. And so a lot of times, from a design standpoint... Again, our goal is to build the brand very slowly and not not jump on to these kind of exciting campaigns, um, but keep the consistent brand. And so we went and found the original uh, Santa that the artist Sunbloom had had painted. And so we were like, let's go back to this Santa. This is our original Santa. This is basically when Santa really, came came into his own. I mean it, it's it's pretty much like Coca the Santa we know and love is the Coca-Cola version of Santa. Um and so we've had lots of Santas over the years, but our push is always let's go back to the original Santa, that, that's our dude. And it's funny because this past year we were making a push to like be modern yet still true to our heritage and some of the other teams were just not buying it and they wanted like these random like newfangled santas and we were like but no that's not the coke santa like we have to be the coke santa so it is kind of this idea of like staying true to who you are and having moments where where you can flex a bit and feel more modern um Did that make sense? I don't know.
1: It made a lot of sense. And I feel like we could discuss this all day, but we can't. We're at time. So Rebecca, if someone wanted to get in touch with you to talk about what's the right kind of Santa, slow design, or any of the other things we've talked about today, where would you like them to get in contact with you? And what kind of message gets you to actually reply?
0: So um, they can absolutely find me on LinkedIn, Rebecca McAllen. That's probably the best way to track me down. Um, and what type of message would get me to reply? I think something that feels authentic, that feels like you've spent a minute to write it and that it wasn't written by AI um, and it wasn't written for a mass audience that you've now copied and pasted back to me. You know, Nothing
1: wrong, nothing wrong with that, by the way. <laughs>
0: <laughs> T- take a little time. <laughs>
1: brilliant well look that was uh, an unusual conversation for this podcast and thank you for giving me a completely different perspective on our industry
0: well thank you thank you for having me
1: hi just before you back uh if you'd like to speak on the podcast i'll be a guest or you think i'm asking the wrong questions anything i'd be super interested to hear what you think so please email me at tom at automated that's t-o-m at uh i'm not gonna bother spelling it anyway you'll work it out thanks so much